Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking to Annie. So Annie, you've just like what blown up on you're on TikTok and now LinkedIn, right? Yes, I am. TikTok is the new frontier that I'm like, I'm so old at this point. Like all the young people are on there. I'm like, I just don't want to come off. It's I like hear that so much. Cringy. I hear that so much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, why, why don't you just kind of start off with uh, telling us kind of your story of like how you what very recent somewhat recently within the past what two three years broken data analytics this year oh this year Mm -hmm. all right so let's let's start from the top so how did you (laughs) get into analytics yeah so i actually just finished my master's degree in occupational therapy which is um like physical therapy like it's not analytics at all um but while i was in graduate school i just spent a lot of time advocating for myself and others and not being taught. And I just got really burned out from that um, experience. And so I just felt like I didn't learn for like three years, pay a lot of money to not learn. So in January, I was feeling so burned out that I was like, I need to do something to like refill my soul. Um, So I just started learning data analytics for fun. I thought maybe I could like organize someone's spreadsheets for them as a side gig um, if I got good enough at it. And so I just googled you know like I like had heard how the tech tech thing is like remote so I just kind of googled tech roles and then I saw data analytics I was like oh that seems like how my brain works so I googled how to learn data analytics and the google data analytics certificate came up 
Um, and I thought that the first course was all of it. So I started taking it. I was like, I'll definitely finish this in a week. And then after the first week, I was like, there's eight courses. <laughs> so, but I loved it. I was like, yeah, I think I'll give this a try. And then we got into the sequel, which I initially was like, I don't want to learn this. I didn't even know what SQL and Tableau were at the beginning of 2022. But oh, I wow. started learning them and I was like, this stuff is so cool. And R, I was like, this is so fascinating. It's so interesting. So I was documenting the journey on TikTok because I thought, hey, if I could do this and successfully turn it into a side hustle, I bet a lot of people on TikTok would love to know that because I've only spent $40 on this course. Um, so I like quickly reached 10,000 followers on TikTok. And then um, I kind of, in like April, I was traveling in Austin and I was still working on this stuff remotely. And it kind of clicked in my brain that I was like, I really like the idea of being able to work remotely. Like I'm about to enter a profession where I'm going to have to be in person every day. I was doing a field work placement at an assisted living facility where all of these ideals that we had learned in school were just not happening at the facility. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of things that really I found blocked us from providing good patient care. You know, like we couldn't tell the nurses that someone probably had Alzheimer's because they didn't want to hear it from us. But meanwhile, it was to their detriment that no one knew was, and was catching it, you know? So just kind of that just culmination of things um, happened. And so, and I was kind of, I got onto LinkedIn really just, for job searching purposes. And then I kind of socially started getting a following there too. Like my posts performed like really well right out the bat. Um, and so I just kind of like went with it. And then I was like, all right, I'll try the job search thing. And if it doesn't work out, I still have a master's degree that I'm graduating with in August. And I do actually like the field. And then in July, I got offered my position and it's a remote job. It's as a Tableau consultant. So I get to do both design and techie Cody stuff, which I think was really cool. And it was at a startup with like a really, really great culture and they pay me well. And so I started doing that. And I like within the first month, I traveled to Asheville and I went paragliding. And I've since been to Austin for two and a half weeks. And I'm going to go to Australia and New Zealand in February. So I am loving it, fully hooked. And just in every sense, I love my job. So, yeah, kind of a uh, weird little story. Yeah. Well, no, that's there's I feel like there's so many like different little threads that we can kind of parse out from that. <laughs> Because uh, one thing that it's ironic because you were talking to a professor. So I teach at Greensboro College. It's very cool. that You're in North Carolina, by the way. I'm only, I'm like three hours, um, I guess, east of Asheville and Greensboro. Um, yeah. But yeah, I see what you're talking about where it's um, there. It seems like there's this gap in, or this like vast chasm between like what is actually taught and what actually goes on in the real world. And I don't know why that seems to be getting wider. Also, it's also getting more expensive. So it's like you're paying more uh, mm -hmm. for things that are so theoretical that you, you don't have a skill coming out. Uh, I think that undergrad. a large problem is that the the um, the boards, you know, the people who certify the schools and everything, they have a list of requirements that they have to fulfill. Um, and so they have to teach all of this theory stuff. They have to check so many boxes, um, which is something that I appreciate about data because, like, you kind of learn – what you need to know for it and then you can add things on but you don't have to just spend i mean if you get a computer science degree you do but if you just get into it the way that i did i didn't have to spend a year learning all of this theory i mean i certainly graduate school teaches you how to think and everything i think more so maybe for other people my program i think the problem was just that um my professors are probably good therapists but they just are not teachers 
Mm-hmm. And they just did a lot of like, here is a PowerPoint that I pulled from the book and I'm going to just lecture. And then everything on the test is going to be pure regurgitation of, did you read page 350 of the textbook, paragraph three? And if not, right. you won't get the question right. Well, it's, and it's I the, hated that. <laughs> it's the ultimate irony because they, they talk about critical thinking all the time, but what they're basically implementing is just memorization. And yeah. Then, like, yeah. So I became like addicted when I started taking the data courses because it was like, okay, so we're going to give you not only the video lecture, but you can read it because I hate, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't watch YouTube videos. I want to read it. So they give you the transcripts so you can go through it at your own speed. They gave you the projects. Um, Every single quiz that you took was open book and then you got to see the answers. I hated that in graduate school, they kind of would gatekeep it so they could reuse the questions. So I'd never got to learn from what I got wrong, you know? Mm. Yeah, that, so that like in the data space, it just is so well designed for learning and really at all different types of learning. And that um, as long as you're self-directed and I have loved that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the wild west right now. Like you can get, you can learn any type of skill for free. I mean, it's going to take mm-hmm. more time and energy. Like you're going to have to throw more sweat equity than like if you go through a, a program, they lay out a curriculum and it's kind of like tier step one, step two, step three. But yeah, I mean, you can basically bootstrap your career and do, I mean, that, that's, that's wild that you completely transition spaces. And now, I mean, I'll be honest, like you're doing more technical stuff than I am. Like, I don't even know how to code in SQL. I've been <laughs> in the space for like six, seven years. Yeah. I, I, what I like about my job too, is that I can kind of slowly ease my way into more technical things. Cause if I like have a client, because we're consultants, so I work full-time for my company, but they bring this, so I consult to them. So if I had a client that suddenly had a really challenging like SQL database thing that I had to pull over, there's people at my company who could do that, so it doesn't come down to me. But then I can learn from that, and then hopefully in the future, right. I can do that. And so it's it's a really good, the startup environment, you know, you're not boxed into like, this is exactly what you do. You get to kind of learn and grow and with the company, and the company learns and grows with you. Yeah, well... So I guess I technically have an educational startup right now. So we launched uh, an apprenticeship program six months ago and we've had four cohorts mm-hmm. and now we have, as of last month, doubled in size. And it looks like this month we're going to continue with that new, um, I guess, I feel like I've been shot out of a cannon and I'm just trying to figure everything else out, <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited because w- w- what we're doing now is kind of, I've, I'm, I'm actually bringing on Ian. So Ian is how I met you. Cause he said you mm-hmm. were the one who inspired him to get on. Um, so he's going to come on and start coaching with me. But so Hunter is actually, I'm going to bring him later on in the chat. So he's one of my students that I taught at high point university. Um, and he's doing coaching for technical office hours. And then my social media manager is helping people with their LinkedIn and actually getting, they're doing a once the LinkedIn hard, hard mode. So it's one post a day for 30 days. And mm-hmm. then here's the kicker that I'm really, really excited about is uh, we did a data challenge probably about six, eight, nine months ago. And the person who won that challenge was preparing for an interview. Turns mm-hmm. out the person who hired him has reached out to me. And now I have a hiring manager on my team. He's going to be like okay. coaching people. So, yeah, right. but, but you, you just suppose that with like the typical business school and their career academicians, they've like never gone out into the real world. They like mm-hmm. are in their like little ivory tower and they haven't actually like consulted. I mean, some of them are. Yeah. So because mm-hmm. what I've noticed, like in my MBA, there were a couple of people who were like very successful, retired, got bored and then came back and taught. Mm-hmm. And those are the yeah. best teachers in my in my opinion, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, great. So do you like you like working remotely, though? 
I love it. There's there's nothing about it that I don't love. I know some people say I need to be in person for X, Y, Z. Literally none of the above for me. I like that I can be in my own space and I can cook. I like that I can play whatever music at whatever volume I want. I can just, you know, wear shorts or sweatpants or whatever. I don't have to commute. I have issues. I have an autoimmune disorder in my brain. So I, I have a hard time with um, lots of movement in my visual field. And so I get these migraines and I am able to control them a lot when I'm able to control my own environment and how much I move around. But if I have to commute and I have to, you know, be in spaces where like grocery stores and like books, bookstores are very hard for me because they're so much, so much, so close to you moving. So not having to do any of that means that I almost never get a migraine on a day that I'm working. And the fact that I can control my own body like that is just really big for me. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. All right. So we got a question from, see, people don't put their real names on their YouTube channel or accounts. So turning point ask, uh, please elaborate more on how she tackled, tackled Python, SQL, et cetera. So how did you learn coding is essentially what this person is asking. So in the, the Google Data Analytics certificate, they went into SQL and gave me a very good foundation. And then they also went into R and gave me a good foundation of that. Um, but then afterwards, I kind of, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I just kind of was like, oh, I heard the data analysts need Python. So then I went and took a 30 days of Python course with Angela Yu through Udemy. Um, and she her course was really, really good. But honestly, it was it was basically a waste of my time. Like I loved it, um, but it <laughs> was such not. such a contradiction there. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool to learn it, but in terms of becoming a data analyst, it was a total waste of my time, and I have not used it at all. Um, I think that Maven Analytics has a has a you know a, a course that I'm looking at, which is Python for data analysts, that might be more relevant. But the course that I took was like how to design web apps and stuff. I didn't do a single thing with like downloading spreadsheets and like analyzing them in the course because it was all like building web apps and stuff. So it was fascinating to see, to learn how to think in, in programs and functions and everything. Um, but in terms of like, especially for my resume and talking to hiring managers did not help me at all. So that was a month of my time I dedicated to that. I think now wow. when I put out my content and people ask me, you know, what did you do? Um, I tell them what I did, but then I say, what I think that you should do is I think that you should take a course, can be a free course, a paid course, whatever, to learn SQL and then go out there and build a portfolio because that is yeah. really how I tackled learning. I learned the foundations, but how I actually learned is I went out there and I did multiple Tableau projects, which you can see on my Tableau public. I did multiple SQL projects. Um, and I just found data sets and I practiced. And every time I was like, oh, there's this thing I want to find out about this data set. I don't know how to, I would Google it and then I would learn it. And that is really how I tackled learning. So I know that people like to talk about these courses and oh, what course can I take to learn this thing? And I think any course, as long as it's not a bad course, give you the foundation. But then the real key is being able to go and learn it on your own. Because if you get a job, you need to be able to to problem solve and figure this out on your own. Cause you can't go to your boss every single time. Be like, I don't know this function. I don't know how to do this. You have to be able to figure it out. Right. So I've got a, an even more controversial take. I think, um, I think skills don't really matter. Like they, they do to an extent, but it's almost like it's um, this hyper fixation with people to where mm-hmm. um, we're placing people in it through our program that don't have the skill set, but they're interviewing yeah. so well that Hiring manager saying like, look, um, I can see because of how you've interviewed, I can see that you're like a very 
effective yes. workers. I, I can see mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned Python. We had someone get uh, an $85,000 offer for a job as an analyst or data scientist um, working in Python. Uh, she hadn't even touched the line of, line of Python code, but they mm-hmm. liked her so much. They said, we're willing to take a risk on you. You fit really yep. well with our company culture. We're going to pay you that rate. We're going to pay for Python training and we're going to pay for your time to go through mm-hmm. that. So I yep. think that, I, and I, I get it. I, it's like, I think um, most people suffer with imposter syndrome and they're like, if I don't check every single one of these line items, um, I'm not going to get this job. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is, have you heard of Harnum? It's a recruiting agency. It's like the biggest yeah, analytics one. Mm-hmm. So what's wild is I met with one of the co-founders two days ago and mm-hmm. he's since spun off, but um, he was saying that there's a massive problem with hiring managers where they'll list everything. So it's almost like looking, it's almost like comparing yourself to someone's like Facebook or TikTok feed. And it's like, this is yeah. their highlight reel. And it's like, this is the cool stuff they do in their lifetime. And you're comparing that to your day to day. To where this mm-hmm. is almost the same thing that's happening on these job postings. It's a wish list, really. No, I actually totally agree with that. I when I got my job, I had some Tableau projects, but like to be at the level that I was at in Tableau and what is needed at my job, vastly different. But what and my and my boss and the um, the VP of my company just left, but there's a new VP and they all agree on the same point that we are not looking to hire people who have the best, especially for the entry level. I mean. Uh, hires, but the entry level position, we are not looking to have somebody hire somebody who's an expert. We are looking to hire somebody who shows that they are curious, that they are willing to learn. And so I think that skills don't matter, but I think that in order, that's why I'm so like, so adamant about building a portfolio, because I think that if you show, Hey, I'm really interested in learning this stuff so much so that I went out, I found data sets, I found these things and I analyzed it in SQL and in Tableau. I did one project that was like I found a Python script and I reverse engineered it in SQL just because I was really interested. And then when I got to my interviews, I was able to talk very passionately and very excitedly about I created this project and I thought that it was so cool. And then and all of these things. And I think that it wasn't the skills that I was showing to them because really looking back, like it really the project that I showed them was very, you know, entry level, which was fine. Um, But it was my passion and my excitement and my drive for self-directed learning that was sticking out. And I did have interviews with or phone screens, really, where they were like, have you been using SQL for a year? And I said, no. And they didn't call me back. So, right. And there are definitely times that skills matter. But well, nothing venture, nothing who, gains. So it's like, don't don't yeah. sweat it. Yeah. But for people who are for, for the roles that are open to people who are actually entry level, you're right. The skills don't matter. But sh- but the portfolio is how you show. Um, yes, I do want to work for you. I do want to do this because look. I'm already doing it. Whether or not I'm doing it well, I'm doing it. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I've, I've, as of this year, this is the first time I've, I've been in a position where I'm hiring people. So I've, I've got that perspective of, I, I think I would much rather have someone who's kind of like a diamond in the rough that's really wants to show up and really like is passionate about like the project that, that we're doing or the, or the, or the vision mm-hmm. versus someone who is like a top of the line expert but it's kind yeah. of lethargic and kind of like just not bought and in. Couple line experts have their own ways of doing things and you're going to have to bend that when you come into a new role. And so if you hire somebody who's got a lot of skills and they want to do it their way, it's going to be more work for you to, to try and get them to bend to your way. Right. All right. So someone asked another interesting question, circling back to SQL. So how would you rate your SQL level? 
We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Um, I think that I'm probably beginner to intermediate. I use Tableau regularly at my job. Um, I did fairly well on my SQL technical interviews, but I don't use a ton of SQL for my current role. A lot of Tableau things look very SQL-ish, um, but definitely not a SQL expert. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So can, can you be explicit around like, are there like three things that you need to know or five things or it's like, what are the kind of like categories or brackets of like what you would need to know if you wanted to get an entry level analyst role that required SQL? That required SQL? Um, you know, I'm not actually, that's a good question. I'm not sure that I'm the best person to answer that. I think that what I was doing is I just like, there's the data lemur, there's data scratch, there's hacker rank. There's those, those websites that you can use to practice. So I think that pretty much any course, whether it's from DataCamp or Maven or Google, they're going to teach you all of the core concepts you need to know in SQL. Um, and then, I, and like you said, I think a lot of times they're hiring people with the intention of training them. And so I think what's going to matter most is doing well on your technical interviews. And I think in order to do well on your technical interviews, you need to kind of know those, the, the things that kind of come, come up commonly on those websites but then um, also be able to show the ability to problem solve through it. I had more than one technical interview where they threw me for an absolute loop and it was like open book. I could Google things, but like I had no idea how to do it. I'm like Googling things and it like showed everything you typed so they could see me like think through it. And afterwards, Mm -hmm. one of them, the interviewer was like, I really loved seeing your thinking process on that. I got other job offers besides the one I got and some of them were heavier in SQL. Um, And they're like, I really loved seeing you think through it. I could see you were like, really problem solving very well. And you were like effectively and quickly utilizing whatever resources you were using. Um, So I completely botched it and didn't even come close to getting an answer, but I impressed them. Right. It's almost like that answer the question. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, see, because I get that question all the time about SQL and it's like, it's outside of my depth. Like, I don't know. Like I have, Mm -hmm. because I've been running a consulting agency for six years at this point. And most of my clients are in the medium to small size market and they just don't require Mm -hmm. SQL. Like I think um, we signed our first billion dollar client last year. And that one was the first time that like I needed a full SQL database. Um, Mm -hmm. And well, actually they had, that that was like a perfect client engagement. And they they had a data architect build out their entire infrastructure and then dumped Mm -hmm. everything into Tableau. And then Hunter came in and just built out the uh, dashboard infrastructure. Yeah. And in Tableau, I use a lot of case statements, you know, like that, 
that I think being able to think in that kind of if then logic um, and being able to think in that kind of case when logic for any analytics role is going to be really important because you do, I think probably any analytics role, you can tell me if you agree with it or this or not, you're going to have to be using logic because you're going to need, going to, need to adjust everything you're doing to specific scenarios. Do you agree with that? So I think what I, I'm essentially a management consultant that, that uses like light analytics mm-hmm. and what I, the, the sweet spot that I've carved out is like in the medium to small size business market, just going from zero to one is worth millions mm-hmm. of dollars to these clients. So that's, that's mm-hmm. where I've carved out to where it sounds like what you're doing is a lot more in depth and like. Mine is all my all my clients are all small to medium size too. None of them are super huge. Like I I just built someone's product the other day. Um, They they have a company. They're pulling publicly available data that is very difficult to kind of aggregate. And for the first time, aggregating it for their group of their target audience. And so I in Tableau built their. It's going to be on an iPad and 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 he he shows it to them. And if they want to purchase his service service service, he they use that. So that whole interface I just built. That's so, really cool. but he's, you know, he's, he's just sending me Excel spreadsheets and I'm just. Right. Yeah. So I'm just mainly you know? going just from Excel to um, Tableau. Although what's, what's yeah. interesting is that I'm realizing I'm not, I'm not inter- as interested in analytics work as I am as the uh, career services stuff. Like I'm geeking mm-hmm. out real hard about like understanding, you know, like it's, it seems like a problem that no one's really solved yet. Like not, not in the, um, at least coming from the, the world of academia, that seems like there's they're just so far away from what's going in, going on day to day. Um, now, mm-hmm. what, what one thing I have, so I've had probably 150 people that I've interviewed over the last six months. And I have talked to a couple people at like Ivy League schools or the top, top 10, top 10, 20% of schools. They do seem to kind of have it figured out, but you're going to be paying like $110,000, $200,000 for your degree. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm just interested in like the whole higher education market because it seems like, it is an institution that's just like rife for disruption. Like yeah. I, I think it's crumbling. I think, <laughs> I think that there are some boot camps that probably do a good job with that interface. I'm very unfamiliar with the higher education angle of getting into data because I just did self-directed courses and right. I started learning in February. I got my job in July. And that was realistically only because the company I was interviewing with, we had a bunch, there was like holidays and people were off. Could have happened like a month sooner. So like I could have been from February to June. I could have, you know. And so that space, similarly to what you're saying, has this problem of if you want to teach yourself to get into data analytics, the hardest part is going to be your job search. And that middle space right. of you can take as many free courses as you want or paid courses or whatever. You can build a portfolio. That alone isn't going to land you a job. And like you said, interviewing well, understanding how to build your LinkedIn presence, how to host your portfolio, all of those things, that middle space. I think there's I've only seen very few people trying to address that problem um, and, and those those like companies that are doing that to help job seekers. I like regularly in my comments, will send people to them because I'm like, they're doing this either for free or very cheap. Go look at this because yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, there's this huge, this huge gap of these kind of career services for these people who are kind of doing it their own way. Well, what I think is interesting is that um, I think we're, especially in this space, everyone's very analytical thinking, obviously. But they, it's almost like a cobbler's kids, like the cobbler's kids have no shoes. It's like they don't take a critical lens themselves. 
to where mm-hmm. I had a recent situation with one of my students where he had finished up a master's degree. Um, and then, but he had worked at a major bank for three years as a fraud analyst. And then um, like we, we were kind of role-playing like, Hey, tell me your biggest win. And then he starts telling me about this simulation that he did in his capstone in his master's program. And it's like fake data. It's small data. It's not even that impressive versus he yeah. uncovered a million dollar fraud as an analyst working for this major bank. And it's like, I said, tell me your biggest win. You're talking about this like little, not even real project. Um, But it's funny because it's like, he paid for that um, master's program, probably a lot of money. So it's like, it kind of tricks you into this false thinking of like, that's valuable when really Mm -hmm. the work, like he didn't even need to get get that master's degree. He probably could have just shored up his story, got a story straight and gone directly into a promotion. From there, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of it is just the psychology of navigating your career, which I find so. I, it's funny because it's like endlessly fascinating to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I just love the psychology aspect of it. Yeah, there's so many different ways to do it too. True. All right, it's on a hard turn here. So Raj is a PhD student over at UNCG, like two miles away from me. So he was wondering how much um, statistics do you use in your job? Um. So I, Tableau does a lot of these things for you. Um, I have been recently thinking about taking a statistics course um, through Maven Analytics, who I love, um, because I think it'd be really interesting to have a, a kind of a broader depth of knowledge about it. I, in, when I was in getting my master's degree, I did take statistics courses and I did do a research project and I was very interested. I actually became like a TA for the research course because I was like so into it. Um, So I have a good knowledge of like kind of the foundations of those things. So in terms of how much I use, not a lot. Um, I did recently have a client who came on and they wanted to have um, count like a count of the total of the thing and then and then um, a total value in terms of money and then they wanted to have an average. And I was like, I think it's going to be really important for you to have median also reflected on your dashboard because I think that seeing the total value of everything is just going to be interesting but not helpful to them Um, because they want to see how they fit in terms of the, in terms of their, to their competitors. So I think that if you're like a very small player and you see that the average is $200,000, it's really not going to be relevant to you. But then if you see that actually the median is only $90,000, then that's going to be much more relevant. So that was my hypothesis. There'd be a big gap between the average and the median. And then I was right. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we do have it on the dashboard. So that was an instance that I did use statistics, but usually like Tableau has like a clustering function that you can just drop it on and it'll do it for you. Anytime you're using some average median, all that stuff, Tableau does it for you. So I think I just have to have, for now at least, in, you know, until I take on like bigger clients maybe, um, I just need to have an understanding of the, the real fundamentals of statistics. Right. Um, it's funny because I, I don't have like an de- in-depth knowledge of statistics. Just being like, essentially what you described there is just changing the aggregation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... Um, changing and I understand aggregation. standard deviation. I think that's important to just yeah, understand bell, that concept. The bell curve. <laughs> so, okay, so maybe I, I know a little bit about statistics, but I'm not like a math. Like I've had students of mine who are math majors, and they can mm-hmm. just run circles around me um, yeah. as far as like just understanding all those like high theoretical. Because at a certain point, it almost becomes like philosophy. It's like so abstract 
And it's really not that relevant, like you said, to these small to medium sized businesses. They need to know what is impacting their bottom line. They need to, you know, they have like very concrete answers that they need. And it doesn't usually require some crazy, no. you know, maybe if you were to get into um, like data science and you were to start doing machine learning, whatever. But for, for people who really just need to know, like, where are they making money or, you know, who is doing the best or whatever, that doesn't require complicated statistics. Well, here's some statistics. So 80% of businesses are in just the descriptive phase of analytics. So all they're doing is just looking at historical trends to see what happened in the past, you know? So, and it's funny because I, I feel like it's almost um, that same concept of like over hyper fixation. Um, people are hyper fixating on that. Like, what is it? Maybe 5% of people who are getting into like prescriptive, like hospitals that can diagnose. So you have these three symptoms and you have this, um, here's a prescription of what we think is probably going on with you. That is extremely mm -hmm. sophisticated. And there's like, you need, number one, you need massive amounts of data. You need big data. And mm -hmm. you also need the budget for that to even make sense. So mm -hmm. most, most organizations are just looking back at what happened and learning from that. So I would mm -hmm. say, instead of deep diving into math or statistics, learn more about business or whatever function, like the, the, whatever game you're playing. So if it's sales, the game of sales, psychology. what do you mean the psychology of it? Um, and just learn about the psychology of like, you know, like working with people. Like a lot of oh, my true. job is, is the psychology of working with people and clients will come to us and they'll say, here's all the things that I want my dashboards to look like. And then we will say, no, <laughs> yeah. we'll find a way to say, no, that's not what you want. Actually, this is what you want. But you can't just say that to someone, you know? <laughs> See, that's an interesting point because um, I, I, when I first started consulting, I, was ba I basically just saw myself as an analyst for hire. But then probably a year or two in, I kind of flipped to where I became the more of an advisor. And then they're mm -hmm. looking to me to guide the conversation. And I think that right. that is where you start to make a whole lot more money because you're right. You could, if you were just the order taker in that situation, you might spend 50 hours doing something that's not even valuable. Or if you exactly. have one exactly. specific question and say, hey, well, what about this? And then all of a sudden you save all that time and you come up with something much more effective. Yeah. But you have to find a way to balance it, right? Because they come in and they know that they're buying your services and they paid for your services and they know what they want. And so then to say, I hear you, but I think that you want this instead. Is right. it takes it takes a lot of skill to be able to to do that. That is tricky, and it also applies um, dealing with the um, the power balance with your manager or your manager's manager. You know, mm -hmm. like 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 mm -hmm. playing a little bit of the po political game. I feel like in a startup. So so it's a pretty how how big is the startup that you're working at? Um, I feel like we have like a hundred employees or something. Okay, less than that, I think. Maybe. So it's it's not like I, I interned at a twelve billion dollar company. And it was interesting seeing like the rigid hierarchy of that and like we how we do not have a rigid hierarchy. Yeah. We do not have one. I mean, obviously everyone has their jobs, but um I've had I've had the co-founder and now VP like just in office hours like ask me my opinion on something. That's awesome. Well, uh, well it is, is awesome. It? I guess it depends on who you are because it's that really I mean he's very capable. Values. He's very capable, but just kind of he just was like, you know, and I want to hear your opinion. And and the CEO, Whitney, I love her. When I was in Texas, she went out to lunch with me and she like was interested in hearing my opinion on things. And so it's obviously they have their jobs and they do them, but um, that not this rigid hierarchy. If you must bow down to me and never ask me right. any questions <laughs> and never suggest anything I do is wrong. Like they've admitted I might be wrong or we might try out this new policy. It might not work. Tell us please. 
And my company is this unicorn, wonderful company that I got super lucky. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on your value structure because, um, so I don't think some people can't stomach the, um, uncertainty of that mm-hmm. of number one, because it's like, if it's a startup, it's somewhat speculative in nature, you know, mm-hmm. to where like these large and in- huge institutional, like these, these companies that are so large that they're almost an institution, they're almost like, what, what is the phrase too big to fail? Like mm-hmm. that is extremely stable. Um, but what I'm learning is that a lot of those big companies actually pay less than smaller companies, which I think yep. is really If I was an intriguing. associate analyst, I'd be making 60K a year. I am not making 60K a year. I am making more than that. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's it's interesting because I, I mean, I learned that literally in my last cohort. I had two people who had essentially the same the same background, three years of, of working experience as an analyst. One got a $66,000 offer. The other one got a $95,000 offer. And mm-hmm. it was like a multi-billion dollar company doing 66 and a $72 million company doing 95. It seems to me like those bigger companies also build in that they know they're like, you are at the bottom of the pecking order and we are going to pay you accordingly. Whereas I think in startups, they, there's kind of this expectation that, that, you know, like where I was when I first got hired and where I am now, I'm providing exponentially more value to the business, you know? And so what I'm doing every day has provides huge value to the business. Whereas like associate analysts who are boxed into one thing for the first huge part of their, their time at the company, they're not providing huge value to the company. They're doing something important, but in the eyes of the CEO, they're not doing something of huge value. And so I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if that's part of why they. You know what I think? It, um, I think it has to do with uncertainty. So I think that, you know, the big, the big company, the entry level jobs are essentially like, Here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, follow the thing that we laid out in this rubric for you to mm-hmm. where working for mm-hmm. a smaller company, it's like, uh, we don't even know. Like he was probably the first person with analytics skills to be hired at that company. And they're mm-hmm. like, we're looking for you to lead this because we don't yeah. know what we need. And yeah. that's, um, that's, it's, it's a bigger burden as far as just like, Big burden. yeah. Cause you're not just, you know, being an order taker, you're actually holding the reins and then driving the, the conversation. And the I interviewed for, for a role like that. And I, I was actually not very interested in it because I was like, I'm so entry level. Like I just, I didn't know what SQL was in January. I just, I don't, Yeah. I don't feel qualified to, to lead. And I want you to build a good analytics structure, a foundation and good data quality. And I don't know how to make that happen. All right. So, um, I don't know how to say this. Kyra, Kyra, maybe. He was asking, what's the difference between a junior and a senior data analyst? What are your thoughts on that? Do you guys have, so, have a structure like that or do you just have analysts? Nope. We just are all just technically, I don't, I don't even know what we call ourselves. We all have a different, if you look on LinkedIn, we all have a different like headline. <laughs> um, everyone who's like a consultant. You just, you you just know, like, like we're, we're called like consultants, but we work for our company full time and get benefits. So we're not like, so it's, yeah. We all, it's like an in-house consultant. Yeah. 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 We all just kind of make it up. Um, but I think from what I saw from, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, I've seen a lot of the junior analysts, like specifically, especially if they call you a junior analyst, you're going to make more money and you're probably going to be kind of very boxed in of, we know exactly what you want. We want you to do. Like you're going to run SQL or Excel or whatever. And it's kind of a very, once you learn what you're doing, it takes a couple months, then you kind of do that. Like you are kind of the, 
probably the grunt work. What I've heard is sometimes it's kind of the grunt work of getting things done. Um, whereas the senior data analysts are oftentimes leading the projects. And so they do more time thinking about how it's going to be done and the structure and stuff um, and kind of managing and delegating and everything. Um, that's what I've heard. I haven't experienced that structure personally, but that's what I've heard that the, that the senior analyst is more in charge of the decision making and the data quality, whereas the junior analysts just do it. I want right. you to run this SQL thing. Yeah, well, I, I pulled this up was um, I, I think it directly relates to what we were just talking about. Of, I think it has to do with your level of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Like the junior analysts are, are basically like, this is we've we've laid this system out. We just need you to go and like brute force like run this exactly. Um, so that's why they pay you less. Right. Um, and it's funny because I have a student who, well, I have a student who's just landed a and their entry level analyst job from Greensboro College. And she was saying that she is just starting to hit a little bit of burnout because of the, uh, they'll be like, we need this report and we need this by the end of the day. And she's working like probably 10 hour days on average. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I kind of wanted to hear, I kind of wanted to get some feedback on my advice that I gave her. I was like, look, you're essentially in a junior analyst role and you're paying your dues right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would reframe this as like, um, you're, you are building a knowledge base and you don't even realize it, but she's also getting to work on like major projects like Coca-Cola and like name brand um, accounts, which I don't think she realizes like the almost brand equity. If that's, if you, if you want, if I can borrow that term that she's building mm-hmm. and that she's solving all of these complex marketing problems for them, or I guess I shouldn't yeah. say complex. They're, they're, they're problems to be solved. And she's yes. doing them in, um, it's not Tableau, but it's like a Tableau alternative. And I think that is awesome. But yeah, I, th- I she's essentially in a junior role. To where a senior role, I think this is actually true. The higher you go up the organization, the less grunt work you do. But you take on more responsibility, which is a burden into itself. Mm-hmm. Thought work and meetings. You know, as far as your feedback to her, I... I have thought a lot about this year. Um, when I started my job search, I was like, I want to work in a company that is really respectful of me and has a great culture. I want work-life balance. So I'd heard these things were all possible in tech. Um, and then by the time I got to like month two of my job search, I was like, all right, I just want a job. Um, and then I ended up getting really lucky and landing this fantastic job that has great work-life balance. I, ironically, this week did have my first long day because the client was thing I was building, but that's very unusual. And my boss was unhappy about it. He's like, this shouldn't happen yet. Not because I made a mistake, but he's like, we want to make sure this doesn't happen. I want you to not have to work 12 hours a day um, on a tight deadline. So I think that I personally feel like you have to prioritize what you want. Um, and then you sometimes have to essentially pay your dues. But like, for me, I want to work somewhere that respects me, respects mm-hmm. my work-life balance. And I do not feel the need. I don't need to have this amazing, huge career and make tons of money. I would rather choose a role that's a good fit for me. Um, but I don't have kids. I don't have a house. Um, and so I do have student loans to pay, but I can make those decisions comfortably because, you know, it's not whether or not I'm going to pay my bills. And so I think that when you first get into the analyst, I tell this to people often on my comments and videos and stuff. When you first get into the data analytics field, yes, you might get a job that has you working long hours. The work is not fun. Your manager is not kind, whatever, you know, like we kind of have to do that to get our foot in the door. However, once you have that six months, one year's worth of experience, now the world is your oyster. 
because right. now you do have that. And so I have I have not yet seen a single person turn down a job offer because of culture, but I have seen multiple people leave their jobs that were even well-paying jobs because they didn't like the culture and they wanted to find a better role, even, you know, from juniors all the way up to seniors. I have a friend who just left a senior data analyst position where she was making a bunch of money because she hated it. Her boss was not kind to her and she, and she even had a fairly good work-life balance, but her boss was not kind to her. So she left and she got another better job that paid her more. And so I think that, you know, like stay true to yourself. Don't stay at that job forever if you hate it. But yes, your first role, you might have to deal with some all right i'm gonna pull i'm gonna pull hunter into the stream let's let's rearrange this a little bit okay you've been sorry you've been sitting on the sidelines for long i i was planning on bringing you halfway through (laughs) i don't know if you saw my desperate waving when i was sitting down there but i was okay yeah do you you have some questions some things to say i do have some questions (laughs) and so my first question is actually very similar to uh what andrew andrew han asked earlier uh he was talking about uh data portfolios um, you mentioned that, uh, the coursework that you did may- maybe didn't help you as much with recruiters. Um, so instead of coursework, was there like a resource that was the most helpful to you or, uh, uh, for, for, you know, speaking to and showing off in front of hiring managers, like, is it, is it a data portfolio or is it something else? Yeah, I, I have pretty good public speaking skills. So that was helpful. Um, I like to acknowledge that when people ask that question, because I think it's silly not to acknowledge that. Um, but I found when I started with my phone screens, I got really kind of not a very great reception. I was like, yeah, I took the Google Data Analytics certificate. And I took this Python certificate and they didn't really care. Um, so, but they were like, oh, and, but then some people were like, oh, did you use SQL in those things? So then I, what I realized is they were just going at, can you do them? Can you, can you use these skills? Um, and so that was early on in my job. Search. I didn't have that much of a built out portfolio. So I actually took a pause on applying to jobs and I went and I was like, okay, I need to find data. I need to find some projects. And so I published like three more projects to my GitHub, um, like SQL projects where I actually kind of cleaned up the code and I did some more Tableau projects. And actually what happened was I'm not sure that the, the people at kind of the end of my job search who I was talking to, I'm not 100% sure that all of them even really looked at my portfolio. I'm pretty sure most of them didn't read any of the codes in SQL that I did because they seemed like they were kind of going quickly. But it vastly improved my way of being able to talk about it because I suddenly had language from learning all of these new things. I had the language to talk about the functions. And the last thing I think that was actually really helpful is I had my TikTok and my LinkedIn. So I was regularly talking about the projects that I was working on. And I think that was a phenomenal help for me because when I had a, um, a recruiter ask me, you know, what is your SQL knowledge like? It was not the first time I had answered that question out loud. And when they asked me, you know, how, do you know about how to do these things in SQL? It was not the first time I answered that question out loud. And I think that that talking about it was just massively helpful in my ability to present like I knew what I was doing rather than I wanted to learn what I was doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Makes a lot of sense, actually. Um let me pull in this question. All right. So D- Diane actually is, is um, in our cohort, that's, our career service cohort that's starting on Monday. Um, actually, let me back up. She asked him, this is the first question I wanted to kind of tackle. Um, so she has years of experience like in a business function, but is wanting to pivot into the analytics space. Um, do you kind of have any advice on like, 
would you how would you rank order developing skills for someone like that um i i think that rank i would start with learning sql and then i would learn a visualization software either tableau or power bi tableau i think was i could use it for free especially if a student email you can get tableau desktop for free so that's why i chose that um because being able to have a portfolio that you can display especially because tableau just feels better to look at than a you know a long list of sql codes um but i think that if you if you i saw your other comment briefly that you like have other experience and other roles that are maybe analyst related but they're not analyst roles i didn't have any analytics experience when i came into this role i had used spreadsheets personally and i had done some research but i was a nanny and i was a preschool teacher and so i had and i delivered pizzas, I'd been a hostess, so I had zero analytics experience. And so I was purely just talking about what I had done this year in my portfolio. However, I have talked to other people who have transitioned, who are transitioning, um, who, who are kind of able to kind of bring in related. Actually, um, Maggie Wolf on TikTok, I think she is the data storyteller. She talks about this a lot because when she first got into data, she had a lot of related experience in data and she was able to kind of rebrand that and talk to them and say, you know, I wasn't a data analyst, but I was doing a lot of analyzing data in my previous roles. And she said that can be a huge helpful step up for you in the interviews, because I mean, if you think about it, if you've got me interviewing who has just started learning how to work with data kind of formally this year, and then you who started learning how to do it formally for this year, but you've been analyzing data for the last three years, you already have a step up on me. And so I think kind of working with, with with finding a way to rebrand that, I think is going to be like massively helpful. You know what we could do? I could pull up her LinkedIn and we can look through it. <laughs> I don't know. Would she like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, she literally asked me if um, like right before this chat, if I would look through her resume, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cur curious about, um, yeah. So she's, yeah, she's one of my students. So this isn't like just some stranger. This is like yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> in the cohort. So yeah, let me, um, she actually just said yes, exclamation point. Oh, did she? Okay, great. <laughs> okay, good. And Maven has a course um, launching your data concept. career. If you're on the Maven platform, they have this course launching your data career that I thought was really helpful. So if you're on the um, look through it. Share screen. All right, I haven't presented. Oh, I've got Iris on, so it's going to look a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah, it looks a little bit like, what, sepia toned? Yeah. Okay, so this is, this is her experience. So business and math teacher business academy instructor. So I think this right here is really cool um, or really great mm -hmm. in that if I'm seeing this as a hiring manager, I'm saying, oh, this person can communicate findings effectively. They have yep. they have six and a half years of, of experience communicating complex concepts to a group of people. So that's huge right there. Um, and then I see that you've already added business analyst here. So she's already taken some of the, um, the hats she's of, taking those steps. that we've talked <laughs> about. So look, it, Diane, you you could successfully say I've got what three years of business analytics experience. Um, Annie, what, what would you say it would be a stretch to say that she could probably start applying for mid to senior level roles? I don't know about the mid to senior level roles because I didn't apply to those, but definitely do not be intimidated by those roles that say they require two to three years experience. That's kind of that's kind of BS, anyways. Um, but you do have it, and you know, like. I like I saw up there you had like financial literacy on there like the fact that you can work with numbers comfortably and you can communicate that because a lot of what we do as data or well, what I do at least as a data analyst is not only doing it but being able to communicate it is like the biggest thing being able to communicate it in a way 
that is understandable quickly because the reason that they hire you as a data analyst is because they do not want to look at the Excel spreadsheet. And so if you just come in with a PowerPoint or a Tableau thing or whatever, and it's just got a ton of numbers on it, why did they hire you? You know, you need to be able to tell the data story. And so what I'm seeing from your background is that you can very effectively tell a data story and you can adjust that based on the learning needs of who you're talking to, which I talked a lot about in my interviews and I use it now. I just the other day had a client, I was like, I don't think this person is not hearing me. All these things that I'm saying, I feel like they're not being heard. So I changed the way that I was talking to be more spatial um, and visual. And Mm. they started responding so much better because I picked up on their learning needs. So you can talk about how you you can tell a data story in the style that they need. And I think that's a huge thing that you should pull out of your background. Yeah, Diane, you, I'm curious if she paid like a consultant or something, because like I'm seeing 90%, I'm seeing 40%, yeah, over 20%. Like she's been, if she did it herself, she has been on the, she has been on the social media pages of people like me and my friends who talk about this stuff because she's done a great job. Right. Um, she's put in metrics, she's would, put in a lot I, of keywords. I, I would say just one little thing is maybe the headline could be changed a little bit. A results oriented and driven person. I think everybody on the planet wants to say that they're results oriented and driven. Um, you might want to just mm-hmm. start with the business analyst that you have at the end there yeah. and really mm-hmm. brand yourself as that instead of as just, you know, a generic business person. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, one thing we've been telling students is like put like business analysts and then these like lines and then Tableau, mm-hmm. Power BI, SQL, Excel, skills, whatever. skills, put skills That's what in there. See. Yeah, yeah. The recruiters they want to see from your headline or if something pops up on a post, you know, that you commented on. That's what people are looking at. Um, I personally, I see oftentimes people will say like, I help teams make better. I hate those headlines. I think they are absolutely (laughs) not helpful at all. It looks like you're selling your own personal services. And so if I'm looking as a recruiter to hire you for something, I'm, I'm not looking for an entrepreneur or a consultant. I'm looking, you know, so I think that what you said with the data analyst and then the skills is the Best way to cut search. I mean, look, yeah, look at all of these uh, skills listed out. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Diane, I, I'm feeling really good about your brand already. I'm curious to see, like, once you send over your resume, um, what that looks like. But you should have her um, on the podcast and talk about how she built out that LinkedIn. Well, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, well, I, I, sent, I sent them a group message um, to see. Um, they're starting next week. So like we have like this, it was kind of off the cuff. I sent it last night. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. if you want to be on the podcast to where the last like two or three, actually, I don't know, maybe the last like 10, we've had our students come on and talk to, um, hiring managers or just people who work in the space. Um, so yeah, I, I really like the new format and Hunter's actually running it now to where I've kind of taken a, a step back to where, awesome. um, when, when we have like people with big followings on. Um, I like to come on and kind of like, cause I see this is like networking, like, like you're, you're building a following. I potentially might be interested in investing in helping, you know, maybe doing some sponsor posts or something like that. So I want to kind of, mm. it's, it's cool. It's almost like leading by example of like, this is how you build relationships. This is how you talk. Like, this is how, like, don't be yeah. weird. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like this conversation <laughs> can just flow organically. Yeah. And it's like, we, Cause we, we, what we prepped, we prepped maybe for 30 seconds. I was like, Hey, this is what I think we're going to talk about. And you're like, cool. <laughs> and then we just hit play. And then you like popped me in for a half a second. I went high and then I went back out. <laughs> That's true. Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. I need you to take over the meeting now. 
This is okay. I'm trying. I'm trying to train him to, to take okay. on more responsibility. So yeah. earlier, earlier, you mentioned that when you learned SQL, uh, you weren't necessarily super interested in learning it. You just kind of did it. Um, were mm-hmm. you doing that? Like, what was a motivator for you? Was it like the prospect of getting a job? Was it just that you found like a really specific, engaging resource, or what was it? I really liked the Google Data Analytics certificate because I was like, oh my God, I'm actually learning for the first time in three years. Um, but my initial motivator was I really did did it so I could get better at working with spreadsheets, which is so funny to me now um, because I, I'm not a spreadsheet whiz also. <laughs> a lot of yeah. stuff I learned about spreadsheets, I like promptly forgot because I don't use Excel very often. I'm actually doing this huge spreadsheet right now of planning for New Zealand and I'm starting to get back into it. But I had this big plan that I was like, oh, and if researchers have all this these spreadsheets they need to organize, I can do that. Um, so then I, but then I was like, oh, I want to like finish the course because you know now that I've got this TikTok and everything, so I was like, I'll learn the SQL, whatever. Um, but I didn't think I was going to like it because I've never seen myself. I've always kind of seen it as like boys like math and coding, and that's kind of what it felt like to me. Um, and so when I started learning it, I was like, I've never, I'm not a math person, whatever. So I started learning SQL and I realized it was all just like logic and rules. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what my brain loves. Like I yeah. love this. And so like within like one day of learning SQL, I was totally hooked and I was like, I love this. But before taking it, I was like, I just want to get the certificate, do the whole thing. And then I can say that I've done it and hopefully use that to help me get a sidekick that's exactly that's exactly how i feel because i'm in higher education at the moment i actually attend high point university north carolina Mm -hmm. and um you know some of these math statistics classes that i opted to take because i figured hey maybe i would need some of these math skills in my job um they're really not at all like what i do for my job they're like talking about you know x bar and r charts and and all this stuff and there are certain roles in which those apply. However, I don't think they're <laughs> applicable to every single one. Yeah. Ian Klaskowitz, I'm late. Hi, yeah. Ian. We're friends. <laughs> yeah. So, Hunter, I don't think you've met you've met Ian yet, but Ian's Ian's coming on. Um, and so, Ian's got an interesting story in that he transitioned from a warehouse worker to his first analyst job, which is so impressive. And that's a that's a big um, kind of target demographic that I don't feel like I can serve well because I've got a master's degree and I'm seven years in at this point. So I'm almost like unrelatable to them to where, um, yeah, that's so impressive that he, I think he somehow positioned himself. So he started having access to the data within the warehouse and then started running the operation more effectively. Um, yeah, he really did the self-directed learner thing. Like I'm sure that in his interviews, the same thing came through that came through for me that he is a self-directed learner and passionate about being in analytics, whether or not he was excellent at it at the time. I don't know what his analytics skills were at the time, but whether or not they were excellent, he clearly is a self-directed learner. And he has, like I've seen his LinkedIn post, he's very articulate, um, can explain things well. And those those are all really important. Yeah. Well, I think also too, something that um, like like me and he, he's he's been actually sending in on some of my sales calls. I didn't realize he had a background in sales before he was working in that warehouse. He was mm-hmm. selling like insurance and then I think medical supplies. Um, and that that is a skill set I think most people are not in this space. They completely miss it. They're yeah, like hard skills, hard skills, hard skills. What? <laughs> I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> right. But what, what's interesting, though, if you kind of like reverse that frame, 
Um, what that means is that if, even if you're a little bit good at public speaking or communicating, you're going to shine like a diamond in the interview process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, and, and I'm seeing this firsthand now of like, because mm -hmm. we're doing like mock interviews where I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. I, I will sit down with my students and we'll run through some like sample questions that are asked typically in an interview. And they are, uh, and I mean this with love and kindness, they are atrociously terrible. Like they're, it's, yeah. it's like they'll, they'll go and they'll start like running on, like, I'll be like, Oh, tell me about yourself. And then 15 minutes later, and they're like, yeah, and I'm done talking now. And it's like, what? <laughs> can I, I, you're still, okay. Can I ask you, you know, you have to try and like cut in because people will just, they'll just run with it. And you're like trying to, can I ask you a question? And it's, you never get the chance. Well, okay. <laughs> the, way, the way that I've been like kind of talking to them about this is that you don't know what the interviewer thinks is interesting about you. So if you talk yeah. and you ramble and you're like, oh, this is what is impressive about me, you might be mm -hmm. completely wrong. So if you have some economy of words, so where like, for example, we're um, like, I'm starting to actually put this into a formula of like, for example, how do, how do you answer the about me? Like, or tell me about yourself. Like, mm -hmm. do, have you, do you have any like What's actual thoughts pitch? on that? Yeah. Like how, how, how would you, and I, I don't, I love putting people on the spot if this is too much on the spot, but Annie, how would, how would you answer that question? I have a very popular post on the subject. <laughs> so I've thought okay. about it before, not on the spot. Um, I, what I, what I say is just talk about your past, present and future. So it's not a long winded thing, but just talk about your past briefly, you know, kind of what you were doing before um, and then talk about what you're doing now. So for me, I said, you know, in the past, I was just finished getting my master's degree in occupational therapy very briefly touched on my past because it really wasn't relevant to what I'm doing now. Present, you know, I took these different courses. I stopped even saying the names of them, but I said I took these really different, these different courses in analytics, which gave me a really great foundation. And now I've been working really hard on building a portfolio and doing all these really interesting projects with data and really applying the skills, learning like uh, hands-on and spending a lot of time on Stack Overflow. Um, and so in the future, like what I'm looking for right now is I'm hoping to get an analyst role that is a really good fit for me. Um, I'd like to find a role that ideally I could stay with the company for a while and learn a lot and grow. I think that um, I don't necessarily want a role where I just kind of expected to just do one thing all the time. I'd like to find a role that helps me really grow in my analytics skills because I'm so interested in it. And so not only did I talk about my past, present, and future, but I have now drawn you back to, I think, my biggest selling point that I'm a self-directed learner and I want to keep learning and I'm passionate about it. Gotcha. All right. So I've been telling the students to be way more succinct than that. Like, <laughs> like three yeah. sentences succinct. Like, That's um, great. Yeah. Have, you heard, have you heard of um, Simon Sinek? He wrote like, so. un, un, like your why statement or understanding your why or something like that. So it's like mm -hmm. reframe the yeah. question of instead of tell me about yourself, like, why are you here? Yeah. So it's like, my name is Joel. I've worked in IT for eight years. This is literally a, a call that happened a couple of days ago. My name is Joel. I've worked in eight, IT in eight years. And during that eight year time period, I've discovered that I'm passionate about data. Mm -hmm. um, I really like uncovering insights and communicating those findings to executive teams. I think That's it depends it. on the person. You know, I agree with that. Um, but for me, I felt like I was really bringing my whole personality to my interviews. And I found that my approach allowed me to bring my personality and my kind of really interesting, unique story to my interviews. Um, whereas I feel like that answer is a more business answer. Um, mm -hmm. And it's going to work really well for some some people and some roles. Um, but I think that I'm not a huge businessy person. Um, and so I think that, and I don't know, you know, I have no idea, but just gauging on the res response 
responses I got in interviews, the most positive responses were the people that really appreciated me bringing my whole self to the interview. I think it likely depends on the role as well that you're applying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the person you're interviewing with and the role. Yeah, yeah. You, you should. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think it's obvious most of the time when you're speaking to someone if they are engaged with you. And mm -hmm. so just adjusting accordingly in the interview is, I think, not too far-fetched. People look for that. Yeah, actually, my the VP at my company, I sat in on an interview for a senior consultant one time, um, a couple times. And afterwards, he said that he, we were going over feedback, you know, together as a team. And um, he said that what, what he looks for is if somebody, they, he was presenting, this person was presenting their project. It's like when somebody is presenting their work to me in a senior level interview, it should not be a data dump. They should not talk for 30 minutes straight. It should be a reflective kind of Q&A because it's, they, where they're like, okay, pretend like we're your stakeholders and you're presenting it to us. He's like, by the time you get to a senior consultant level in Tableau, I should see you frequently checking in with me to see if I understand what I think about it, um, even though it's an interview. Right. Yeah, because I think it, um, there's this concept called like emotional bits. Or Go, go ahead, honey. Your, your microphone is really boosted. I don't know if something just disconnected. Did something just happen? I think. No, no, mine's actually, my, you sound... A little Did, bit louder, but not a lot louder. Okay. Weird. Not nothing got touched. Okay, don't worry about it. Never mind. Is it? <laughs> it's it's manageable. Just uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but what I was gonna say was um, the 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 thinking that I have about make it concise, but make it chock full of emotional bids. So like mm -hmm. with what I said, it's like oh you worked in IT, you are passionate about data. Oh, you've yeah. uncovered insights. Oh, you presented to executive teams. So those mm -hmm. are like four conversational threads that they can hook onto and say, oh, you said you're passionate about data. Tell me more about that. And then that's when yeah. the story can come in. So mm -hmm. I think that we're not necessarily in disagreement. I think what's like. No, I think uh, we're totally agreeing. In, <laughs> where it's like, but have shorter, punchier answers. Um, mm -hmm. Because what I'm afraid of is that some of these. So like w w when I'm coaching these students, it's like, all right, let's come come through like Diane did and and let's see all of the major wins you have and then we can mm -hmm. put together narrative structures around four of them. Make mm -hmm. sure that you work that top story into the conversation somehow naturally. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the worst case scenario is that you start talking about the things that you're you're nerding out on and it's like, oh, well, I did this Python code and blah, 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 and you're super technical and you're talking to someone mm -hmm. who is a VP and they don't know anything about code. But what they right. care about is like business outcomes. So you're mm -hmm. like spending 30 minutes talking about this and like a 45 minute phone screening. And it's like, you're done. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but, yeah. but you weren't a bad fit for it. It was just a communication uh, mismatch. I agree with you. Definitely. Yeah. Just know yourself. If you, if you know that you're going to start rambling about technical stuff, then maybe just try to keep it shorter. And your yeah. audience, know your audience too. It's like kind of what stage you're at. Uh, I had a, someone recently who was like, Hey, I have an interview tomorrow. Um, it's like a third interview. Do you have any tips for that? Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm glad you told me it was a third interview because my tips for your third interview and your first phone screen, your first interview are different. Okay. I, I'm kind of curious. I want to push a little bit there. of like, what are your, do you kind of have like high level advice for, well, so, okay. So the, the first, second and third, it, it, what I've noticed is that it doesn't go in the same order. So it's like, behavioral, um, technical, and then phone screening. So I guess the phone screening is always going to come first. But mm -hmm. Then the behavioral and the technical might get flipped around. Do you have mm -hmm. any thoughts about the specifics? Yeah. So the first phone screen, I tell most people, this is just from what I experienced too. 
definitely not a career coach. But the phone screen, pretty much most of the time, the person in the phone screen had looked, spent about five seconds really looking over my stuff. They had not looked at my portfolio. They had not looked at my website and they had barely looked at my resume. And so that the purpose of the phone screen that I experienced every single time was just, will you be a fit for this role? Like very high level, will you be a fit for this role? Do you have the skills that I'm looking for you to have? Or do you have the interest that I'm looking for? You know, they, they know what they're looking for. And so they're just trying to get a batch of people in who have whatever it is they're looking for, whether it's curiosity, two years of sequel, whatever it is. Um, so then your first landing with, you know, the hiring manager and someone at the company is when you might, you have somebody who's going to be more interested in maybe hearing about what you're doing. So you obviously need to, to tailor it based off of how technical they are, what they're asking. But um, whether it's a behavioral or a technical interview, you still have the questions at the end. So they were kind of asking about like, what questions do I ask at the end? On a phone screen at the end, you are only asking very high level. You're not asking specifics. Whereas in the first interview, your questions at the end, you know, like your, it's your first chance, it's your first chance to ask about the company and what the role would look like and who you'd be working with and who, what the day-to-day -day is like. Um, so then by the time you get to the, the third interview, um, you've probably already had those Q and A's. And so you kind of, it's like, how many times can I ask the same questions, you know? So by the third one, what I was focusing on is as, as I went through further into the interviews and this I might be wrong on this one, but this is just what I did. I focus more on what I, what will I actually be doing if I get this job? Like what problems will I need to solve? What problems do you have that I'm, I need to solve? Who am I going to be working with? And so it goes from broadly the company into more specifically the role for me as I progress the interviews. And it worked for me. I don't, I don't know if you have opinions on if that would work for other people or not though. Um. So yeah, that's actually, you bring up a good point about asking questions. Um, I'm not sure I have great advice around like what to ask about the company. I guess you should ask questions that show you're genuinely interested in the role is my general mm -hmm. take on that. This is kind of my gut mm -hmm. impulse. Do you, so you're saying you would, you would ask about like, what would this look like day in and day out? So it's kind of like, you're signaling that they that you see yourself in this role and you're interested in like what the the day yeah, is. I just I think that if if you're hiring people, like I just I just really I'm not a big small talk person. I just I saw these lists online of like questions you could ask during an interview and I was just really disinterested in asking useless questions that were just there to position myself socially in the interview. Like I just am not mm -hmm. that type of person and I'm not gonna ask those filler stock useless, you know, tell me about the company culture. Like, I'm not going to ask you to tell me about the company culture because I'm going to pick it up through every interaction I have with everyone at your company. If you make me go through four interviews and you don't respond to me for two weeks after every single one, that tells me about your company culture more than what you could say to me. And so I, for myself, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because you, you run the risk that maybe that one person is just an asshole and it's, it's like atypical. Maybe. Yeah. It's maybe, um, but also maybe that one person you talk to is an asshole and you're going to get a, you're going to get a biased view of their company culture. So I wouldn't right. ask people what the company culture was. I just wanted to see it. Um, so mm -hmm. what I, when I needed to know and what they needed to convey to me, we're both there with the same common goal to find someone for this role. And so that is what I focused on with my questions. Um, and I've seen, I've made a video on it and some people were like, oh, well, how about all these behavioral questions you should ask? And like, I'm if you ask whatever questions in your interview you want to ask. But for me, I just, 
I focused on the actual, what am I going to be doing in this role? What problem am, am I going to solve for you? Um, because I needed to know what it would look like for me and how I can help them because that's what we're both there for. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying um, about basically it's like filler questions. Like what is the vision of the company or what are your values? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I feel like I've had that mentality up until very recently of now that I have a startup, I'm trying to build a culture and I, I see the value of that to where before it all just seemed like, like when I was in school and they were like, here's the school's vision of, you know, think critically, act justly. That feels like filler to me to where, I don't know. I, I guess what the bigger company is, it's like, how can you even have a culture if it's 500,000 people? Like that's, that's not, what, what is, what is that number? Dunbar's number where it's like, um, we can, we can collect. We can have tribes of up to 250 people, but then once you go past that number, it's like um, you're not really in a culture. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's just the, 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 the it's how many clo- it's how many close connections you can have. Right. Mm-hmm. Limited. So right. yeah, so I, I think that the cultural thing is probably more important for startups because mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a startup and it's like um, I'm thinking of that movie where they were selling penny stocks or something, it was like the boiler room or something. Like that could be a startup, but that is yeah. going to be a super intense startup where everyone's hyper competitive and they're like, it's competition is the number one thing to where I've worked in a nonprofit as where I've been on the board of the nonprofit and it was very female dominated and it was very um, like not, there was competition and like directness was just actively discouraged. It was like, mm-hmm. we're going to like um, be very communal and we're going to have meeting after meeting after meeting. And it's, those are two kind of polar extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, But like with smaller companies, I think the the culture is much more important. And you're right though. You can kind of pick up on some of these um, kind of. Yeah. Well, when I would ask about my day to day with bigger companies, they wouldn't really go into anything to do with culture, but with startups, every time I asked about what's the day to day going to look like, what am I going to be expected to do? Who am I going to work with? Um, immediately, I would start hearing things about their culture, you know, and, and they would, I would, they would start talking about because culture, if culture, if they are trying to build a culture, um, they think about it a lot. So that would come up naturally. Um, and then I right. wouldn't have to ask about it, you know, and so they would kind of in an unfiltered way, just be telling me about the culture kind of passively, which I liked a lot better. Gotcha. Wow. So turning point saying uh, hours passed. And I just now noticed. So that's awesome. <laughs> Annie, you've been a great podcast guest. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. All right. It's so do you have podcast. any closing comments, statements? Let's plug your socials. So TikTok, is it Annie Nelson? And then LinkedIn? My TikTok is Annie's Analytics. And Annie's then my Analytics. LinkedIn is Annie Nelson. I'm, I'm a, a kind of a unique content creator um, in air quotes because I never set out to be a content creator. And I don't really care about being a content creator. I thought I was going to shut down my LinkedIn account and my TikTok after I got this job. But then people were commenting daily and messaging me daily how much I helped them. Um, and so I'm like, oh, I can't stop now. Um, but it's so funny because because I, I often get people like messaging me like, hey, I want to hear about your strategy. In exchange, I'll do this paid, whatever, this paid post or this sponsor. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm yeah. just here to help people and to live my best life. So I'm not to, not to throw shade on you saying let's plug your socials, but I just, I just, I thought it was an interesting thing to stick in there that I, I am, I, 
there are so many content creators out there that are out there to be content creators. And I think that the reason that I've been at this level of success that I have is because I, I don't care about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm saying people in this chat have been like really like enjoy, enjoying it. And it's like, they want to connect with you more. So yeah, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. I'd love that. All right, yeah, cool. so Annie Nelson on LinkedIn and then Annie's analytics on TikTok. All right, well, Annie, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for being on the, the call as well, Hunter. And everybody in the live chat, I appreciate you guys tuning in and uh, contributing. See you guys later. Take yeah, care. Thanks. Bye. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.